I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and this is the Dying to Ask podcast. When I was a kid, I used to drive me crazy that my mom would forget things. Adults would forget things. Little things that just always seem to slip through the cracks. So, I mean, it could be something as silly as forgetting to get Oreos at the grocery store, right? Then I became a parent, and I discovered mom brain. And then I called my mom, and I apologized for all the things she knew about, and especially for the things she never knew about didn't find out about, or at least I think she didn't know about. Mom brain has been loosely defined as that brain fog or the forgetfulness that people experience after they have kids. Now, scientists have actually studied women's brains post-childbirth, and what they've seen is a hormonal shift that happens. And they've speculated that that's what causes a shift in the brain that can make you feel kind of foggy-headed or forgetful. The good news about mom brain is that your brain starts to bounce back as your kids become a little bit older, more independent, and you stop caring about every little thing as much as you do. Then came two years of a pandemic, and what I've discovered is that things like focusing, thinking clearly, has come back. It's like mom brain times a hundred. And I've talked to a lot of people who have said exactly the same thing and they're calling it pandemic brain for real. It's a thing. And it's basically the overwhelm of life two years into this mess that makes it really tough for your brain to take a break and to stop thinking all of the thoughts to even slow down a little bit. So not like an official disorder, you're not going to find it in a book, but they're studying it now, which means you probably will find it in a book someday. So I started Googling, I literally Googled this, why can't I think? And that was how I came across the term pandemic brain. And there was this awesome article in Glamour magazine that explained this fog in like what was being advised for people who were feeling a hard time focusing. And I started circling the things, I printed it out and I put it up. And then I noticed something. This article was written in March of 2020, pre-vaccine, that this article came out, right? And I'm like, whoa, how did this already, we were already dealing with this in March, actually it was March of 2021. We were already dealing with this and here we are almost a year later, it's gotta be a million times worse, right? So I wanna talk about pandemic brain, what it is and what we can do about it. So here's my plan for the show today. It's a little different than what I normally do. So first up, my friend and colleague and fellow pandemic brain sufferer, Edie Lambert, will be joining me. Because she and I, we text all day, every day. She and I have talked about this over the last year, about how we both have felt this between balancing work and kids and school and you know, were you able to find a COVID test, all that kind of stuff. Um, we have been sharing this just with the two of us over the last year. Um, and then after that, we're actually going to get somebody who went to medical school to like really break this down. Dr. Hillary Van Horn Gatlin, Dr. V for short to her uh, patients. She's going to join the conversation. She's a psychologist for Kaiser Permanente, and she's going to break down the science of what's actually happening in our brains right now. She'll talk about the research that is ongoing to figure out what will be the long-term effects. And then she's going to give us a really simple action plan of things we can try right now that she says, if you commit to for one week, can really make your brain feel better. One week, she's got four or five things, and I will tell you, I've done a few of these things, and at least for me, it's definitely helped. And then after that, Edie will join me again. We'll go through those things and how we think we might implement them. And we'll also talk about some of the hacks that have been working or 
working-ish for us as we all get ready to hit this two-year mark of the pandemic. Pandemic brain, it is for real. And it's what we're talking about in this week's Dying to Ask podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I thought I had seen and covered it all. Then came coronavirus, a pandemic, anchoring in my living room, homeschooling my kids, and all the things that come with COVID, including a vaccine. It was supposed to get us all back on track and living our best Instagrammable lives. Best lives-ish. The reality is we're still untangling what life looks like in a world post-pandemic. A lot of people describe a sense of never-ending overwhelm and anxiety. Is that just what life is like now? Or are there ways we can get back to living in the now? And this season of the Dying Desk podcast is asking how we can hit the restart and start living again. Good morning, Edie. Good morning. I've been looking at my watch. Is she up yet? Is she up yet? We're, on, <laughs> we're like on opposite sides of the moon. And you know, I am in a new, whole new me where I'm trying to be really protective of my sleep. So it's the brand new Edie Lambert. How's that going? Really good. Feeling great. How, how long is it? Has it been like that? Um, let's see. Since Monday, it's Thursday now. <laughs> no, no, it's Friday. It's oh, Friday. No, it's Friday. <laughs> Did you sleep through Thursday? You slept through Thursday. Wow. There it went, but I feel pretty good. So who needs Thursday? Really? <laughs> no, Thursday is very overrated. There's no doubt about it. Okay. So <laughs> your, your new commitment to sleep is actually really interesting because it really ties into what we're talking about today. This pandemic brain thing, we've been talking about it, although we didn't have a term for it. And so we found this article, but we've been talking about this for like almost two years now. It kind of goes like, Hey, I've been feeling really foggy. Oh, me too. I can't think me too. Right. That's, that's, I don't that's focus. our conversation lately. Pretty much. It's really, it's interesting stuff if anybody's eavesdropping, but we're not alone in this. A lot of people are feeling it. And so I had been, I literally Googled one day, you know, why can't I think? And you'd be surprised how many things come up. But the first thing that came up was this article, this Glamour magazine article by this woman, Jenny Singer. And the title is Pandemic Brain is Real and it explains why you can't focus. So I start reading this thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah. And I sent it to you and you're like, yeah, that's us. And then we realized, we realized this thing was written in March of 2021. It's not even new. And you, the first thing I thought when I saw that date was, if anything, all of this is even more true. It's even more pronounced. The advice is even more needed. And, and the other thing is that it's, it's actually been researched now, and now they're like, they're putting some science behind it and finding out mm -hmm. that the reason why people are feeling this way is because the way we're living is just really, really hard, which I know is not like, you know, breaking news to any of us right now, but it's really, really hard. So when did you start, could you remember, <laughs> loaded question, do you even remember when you couldn't remember anymore? Like when things you started to notice like a real shift? Um, well, the funny thing for me is I feel like I've had different periods of brain fog, you know, as you know, during intense times of stress at work, um, that's been a symptom, uh, birth of both of my children, I've had pronounced brain fog. So it was sort of, um, oh, here's the pandemic version, <laughs> you know, we're, at, you know, brain fog 4.0. Um, but I think for me, where I really noticed it was I was starting to look at my calendar over and over and over all day long, trying to just, um, 
I guess, maybe soothe that feeling that I was missing something or I was forgetting something. I was leaving some ball up in the air. And this is during a time there was literally nothing on my calendar. Right. I mean, what are <laughs> what are we doing aside from, you know, the, the bare minimum and taking kids to the doctor? I mean, there's not much. But I was obsessively checking my calendar and I and I was realizing I'm trying to um, make up for the fact my brain's not working right. Yeah, mine, mine came, <clears throat> I remember noticing a shift at work because we were working these weird schedules and, you know, staffing and whatever was just different. And I could feel um, my, my superpower has always been focused. Like I can have chaos going on and, and I like it that way, like 17 different things going on and I can drill down and I can focus on minutia. And all of a sudden I couldn't do it and I could feel my mm. focus going. And it was really jarring to me because that has always been for me as doing mornings, which is it's nonstop multitasking and just a lot going on, doing those Olympic assignments, being able to compartmentalize and keep things straight. That has been the thing that I've always been really amazingly naturally good at is that. And I've loved that. Um, and it's a total adrenaline rush to pull it off. But all of mm -hmm. a sudden I could feel my focus was not there. And it's not that I wasn't paying attention. It was that it was harder to pay attention. And I found it really jarring that I was losing that. And I didn't know why. Yeah, it's very unsettling to, to be in that, in that spot. My version is just not being able to remember things that happened not very long ago. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's my version of feeling a, a bit panicky as to what, what's going on with the state of my brain. I know. It's... Um, you know, it's funny, like early on in this, I think you were so, we were so hyper aware of like, just trying to get stuff pulled off that, you know, there wasn't adrenaline to pull it all off, but two years is a long way to long time to live like this. Yeah, it is. And just as we were talking about with this article from March of 2021, it ends with the hope that we're kind of coming toward the end because yay, a vaccine is available. And hey, everybody, we've, we're, we're just about there. And that, it reminded me, that is how we felt a whole year ago. Um, and then now we're all vaxxed and we're still getting COVID. I mean, I, my whole family, you know, my, got breakthrough cases um, and, you know, the, the vaccine has only gotten us so far. Yeah, I know. That's, it's, that's a really great way to put it. Um, see, I've just lost my train of thought because this is where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> but in this particular podcast, it's just a wonderful example. So this is the perfect place to do that. I think you're right. I think you're right. My hack has been, I've got to write everything down, you know? So like oh, I, have yeah. pen, I have a pen in my hand right now. I have a pen, you know, usually in my hand at all times and post-it notes. Yep. See, you've got your list too. She's holding up a, a notebook with lists and I, that has become the hack that I've got to do. I've gone really old school. The other thing that I found really disturbing is that I have these, um, I'm a big post-it note person and I have them all over the house. And it kind of reminds me of, did you, did you ever see a beautiful mind that Russell Crowe yeah. movie? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that scene where his wife walks in and she sees all the yeah. math and she's like, what, what, there's something wrong with my husband. Right. That's right. what I feel like. Cause I leave post-its for people all over our house because it's the only way that I remember stuff, but I just need to right now. And that's been my hack to kind of get through. So um, the good news is that pandemic brain 
is legit. It's for real. Um, you're not alone. In fact, most of us have it right now. And the better news is that there are some things that we can all do that are actually really easy that if we apply them can make a difference pretty quickly. Um, which is good news. We just have to remember to actually do some of these things. So let's uh, take a quick break. We're going to talk with Dr. Hillary Van Horn Gatlin. She's a Kaiser psychologist. She also read this article last year, and she's been dealing with people for the last year since that article came out, came out who feel that foggy, um, foggy, what's the word I'm looking for, Edie, that foggy, just a mist over your brain. Yeah, they've got that. Thank God you're here. You can share this burden of remembering things with me. <laughs> We'd be really good co-anchors. We would be. We would be. Okay. Dr. V is joining us. She's next. Dr. Hillary Van Horn, Gatlin, Dr. V for short. I know that's what all your patients call you. So Correct, please, yes. if I can call you that, that'll simplify it for me too. Absolutely. Me too. Okay. Because my pandemic brain can't handle a lot of extra words these days, which is a problem given what I do for a living. I know. And you know, you are not alone in that. I'm not. And there's a part of me that is comforted in knowing that, but then there's a part of me that's kind of horrified. Cause I'm like, where yeah. are we going as a society? It's right. this, um, this concept of pandemic brain. I know it's not an official disorder, but it's a thing. It is. It very, very, very much is. And it's something that as psychologists we've seen for decades, but we're just seeing it on such a greater scale and in a different way than we have with, for example, anxiety and depression. So what, what is the difference? Because what's interesting about this Glamour article that I know you, you read as well, that came out bit like March of last year, the difference is another year has gone by. So it's not like things have gotten better like we thought it was going to. In many ways, it almost feels worse because the duration of time has obviously gone on and we're back in another surge. So, so what is it that we know is going on right now? Right. I think that there's a couple of things going on that we really have to be thinking about. And the biggest one is this constant impending sense of doom and uncertainty. And I mean, think about our brains, right? I mean, we thrive on control and the belief that we know what's going to happen next. And the pandemic has slammed the door on that belief. And I, I would say it kind of buried it six feet under. So now we're sitting here thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next. I thought I knew. And every time that we start to feel like our footing's getting, you know, we got our footing under us again, right? We mm -hmm. know what's happening. We're starting to get better. People are getting vaccinated. We're starting to feel safe again. The kids are back in school. And now we've got Omicron. And we don't have access to testing. And we cannot know for certain that even the safety measures that we're taking are going to be enough. And that constant sense of, again, doom, uh, and a lack of almost reality is starting to wear on our brains and it's costing us. I mean, neurologically, it's costing us. This um, low level anxiety that I think a lot of us have lived in, I, I've found that I, I mean, I'm a really resilient person by nature. It's my, mm -hmm. it's my, my talent or maybe my curse, depending on how right. you look at it. Um, but what I've found is that like, if I'm go, 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 and there never is any break to actually think about what's going on and what I'm doing, um, I keep going. The second there is a break that gets built in, I'll give you an example. I got a really bad cold in December. It was like, everything came down. Yep. You know, is that, is that what our body does to protect ourselves? Absolutely. And I think for some of our personalities, we're more prone to that. I think particularly people that I would say are what we consider type A, you know, we thrive on being busy. And the great thing about being busy is that we don't have to stop and think about things. Yeah. Um, and 
we are now in a society that has allowed us to find other things to feel our brains so we don't have to think. And so when all of a sudden all of that shuts down or slows down, we start to really feel all the things and that can be really scary. So the pandemic brain part of it where you, you can't focus, what is it that's happening in our brains that makes us feel like that? I've described mm-hmm. it to people as it's like my brain is scrambled eggs. Right. My, I've always been able to like focus, which with what I do for a living is super helpful because <laughs> you might have 15 things going on, right. but you need to drill down very quickly and make sense of one thing that's in front of you. Yeah. That I have found that in the last year increasingly more difficult to do. Yes. Why, why are so many of us feeling like that? So- I think there's two separate things that are happening. The first is, is that, you know, this, there's this Harvard medical school study, and it was, again, very small sample size. We're just starting to really look at this, but is actually finding that the pandemic and the isolation have increased neuroinflammation. And what we know about chronic stress, and I think we can all agree, we are two years into this now. This is a chronic stressor. This is something that is constantly in our face, in the news, in our homes, potentially, in the community, is that that chronic stress also impacts our prefrontal cortex, which is part of our brain that controls memory making, our ability to organize, and our ability to concentrate. So if you take those things and then you combine it with our increasing tendency to multitask, and frankly, our brain's, I would say, increasing obsession with our phones, which is mm-hmm. in and of itself a, a form of multitasking, you know, constantly wanting distraction, we're starting to have more problems with our memory. We're starting to have more problems with our ability to just attend to one thing at a time and really focus. Okay. So this is all me right now. So as much as I was going to try for this personal therapy session, right. it's clearly going to be that. Um, this is so fascinating to me. So over the holidays, we had a situation where we had a lot of a lot of stuff going on, just like a lot of families did. And I had a week of like dealing with that. And I was not texting friends. I was not on social media because I didn't want to talk to anybody, okay. honestly. We just had a lot of stuff going on. And what was interesting was at the end of that week, I did notice that oddly, even though I had been doing a lot of things, I did things one at a time. Uh-huh. And none of them were very like, extraordinary things. It was right. laundry. It right. was not cooking. satisfying. Yeah. No. And yet it was, and right. yet it kind of was, it yeah. was kind of, it was quiet and kind of what we would in the, you know, before times call very boring. Yes. And yet it, what I noticed was my brain was a lot more quiet than it had been. Mm-hmm. Is that a coincidence or is that because I stopped doing some of these other things? No, that is not a coincidence. One of the biggest things that we could do for ourselves is to stop multitasking. And I mean, really thinking about even what multitasking means because we're doing it constantly. Mm -hmm. And what we know is that when we start to focus on one task at a time, when we stop the multitasking, what happens is, is that we're able to really attend to one thing at a time. And that is how we encode information in our brains. And that is what essentially creates a memory or our ability to kind of organize the thought or the process or what's happening. Wow. Okay. So, um, I know there are a lot of people who are like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like light bulbs are going on as people are listening to this. Let's go through like an action plan of what we can start trying today, starting with stop multitasking for a while, Uh do one thing at a time. Uh Yeah. So stop multitasking, do one thing at a time. 
The second thing, again, is to notice our tendency to slip our hands towards, let's say, our phone, for example, when we're doing one thing at a time and check our text messages or the latest ding that's happened in our phone. So really pay attention to the things that are making that harder. And what we often find is that the first couple of days of doing this are really difficult, and then we start to get into a rhythm. And as we get into that rhythm, it makes it easier. Other things that we can do besides really paying attention to the multitasking is thinking through what wellness means to us. And I think that there's two pieces to this I really want to call out as a psychologist, because I think oftentimes most of us know what we need to do for ourselves, but the act of actually doing it is a different thing, right? Most people listening to this right now are going to say, well, I know that I need to eat healthier. I know that I need to probably exercise again. I know I need to meditate because I've been told that that's good for my brain. And all of those things are true. We know that meditation and good sleep, a good diet and exercise and being out in nature, all of those things combined are each incredibly valuable for our brains and to reduce that chronic stress and that neuroinflammation. So we know that we need to do it. I think sometimes the harder thing is actually doing it. Oh gosh, yeah. Right? I mean, I think yeah. most people here are going to say, well, I know what I need to do. And you know, if I asked you what your biggest stressors are, you would say, well, I know what I need to do. I'm mm-hmm. just very busy and I don't feel like I've got time to do those things. Well, not only do I know what I need to do, um, I actually tell people by reading out loud for five hours a day what they need to do. Right. <laughs> so exactly. I very much yeah. know what I need to do, but you're right. It's like you get on this hamster wheel and it is very hard to get uh-huh. off that hamster wheel yeah. because something might drop. Yeah. So no, it's, I, I, it's absolutely true. And, you know, I, I think about this as a mom myself, as a mom and a spouse. Um, have I had my finest parenting moments during the pandemic? Absolutely not. Um, has my relationship suffered because of the pandemic? Absolutely. And the worst part is, I think, when we know what we need to do, you know, I can put an action plan in place and tell you exactly what needs to happen to make it better. But actually following through on that and being consistent is harder. Yeah. And I think also, um, we're in a society that's more perfectionistic than ever. And there's constantly this sense of what is presented, right? I mean, think about it for you, you're behind a camera and your hair is always done. You always probably have eye makeup on, right? So all of these things. And so it looks like, you know, you've got it all together. I mean, even right now, your background, it's excellent. There's no clutter. It's amazing. Until Dr. V, I go like that. And I'm just moving the camera over so you can see the two piles of laundry. And as I download this later, the multitasking I will do by throwing that laundry into the dryer. So yeah, let me just spell that. And for anybody who thinks that my hair is perfect, yesterday, I actually said out loud to Tamara Berg, I don't remember the last day I washed my hair. (laughs) And that was a true statement. But it looks so good on camera. You can't tell, can you? And I think that's the thing. Yeah. And we've got to remind ourselves and everybody around us that what is presented is not necessarily what's real. And it's so hard with social media and with what we're seeing on a screen, which is for many of us, our primary form of social connection right now. It's, you know, it's not real. And it adds to this sense of not only am I not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but everybody else has it together. So then we start to criticize ourselves. 
We start to lose compassion for ourselves. We start to be disappointed and ashamed of ourselves. And it gets us further away from the small steps that we can be taking for our own wellness, for our brains, for our relationships, and for the real world that still exists despite the pandemic. How long does it take to reverse brain inflammation? It depends. So it depends on, on the cause is I think the easiest way of answering that question. Um, if it's How long till I feel better, yeah. Dr. Right. V? Let me yeah. rephrase. I mean, if it's depression or anxiety, uh, it can take a longer time. If it is chronic sleep deprivation, it can take a longer time to kind of really find that recovery. Um, for people who are having pandemic brain without explicit diagnosed depression, anxiety, and sleep disorders, what we're finding is typically they're seeing small improvements simply by cutting down multitasking, spending more time outside, getting exercise, typically within a week. Wow. Um, but I'm, and I'm not saying 100%. I want to be very clear. Yeah. You're not going to be 100% you know, better. But people are noticing differences and improvements in attention and therefore the ability to recall and remember um, and organize their thoughts you know, as they do this. And so we are seeing even slight improvements in very short periods of time. Well, that's interesting. And actually with that, you know, week that I was just telling you about, which I've now renamed the worst vacation ever. um, I did notice those changes after I accidentally did what you were recommending um, or maybe intuitively, I guess, you know, body, body knew what it needed. Um, I did notice after a couple of days, I Mm -hmm. felt like I could kind of handle things a little bit differently. So that's, I think that's really encouraging with these Harvard researchers that you were talking about. I mean, what a, what a fascinating time to be a researcher, I would think. What, what are they looking at long-term? What are the questions they have about what we've done to our brains in the last two years? What do they want to really know? Oh my gosh. I think that there are so many questions. I think I, I could, I could make a laundry list about this and we could be here for hours. You know, I think in relation to pandemic brain, I think that there's two pieces to it, which is number one, how long does it take to recover you know, from these prolonged and potentially increasingly prolonged periods of neuroinflammation? You know, this is not a short period of time where we've had this, um, you know, this stress on our brains and on our bodies. Um, and the two are, you know, intricately interwoven. But there's also these questions about the prolonged stressors. You know, if you look at, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term adverse childhood events. Yes. Okay. So if you look at something like ACEs, right? So that's what we call adverse childhood events, ACEs. So if we look at ACEs, we look at children who've been exposed to generational, oftentimes prolonged chronic stress. We know that there are biological impacts on their health. We know that there are psychological impacts. We know that there's impacts on resilience. Um, And a lot of these, again, come back to these same issues around the prefrontal cortex um, and neuroinflammation. So if we're thinking about something like that, again, as another example of a prolonged chronic stressor, really across a lifetime, if we're looking at something that's in a shorter period of time, but collectively something that we as a society and as a world have shared, what does that mean? How does that change us? How does that change how we think about things, how we go about our day-to-day lives? And I think also one of the questions I have is at some point, and I would say even right now, we're getting back to a new form of normal that I don't think anybody loves, but schools are still open. 
you know, businesses are still open. Um, people are still going into work every day. Um, as we're looking at this, the other question is, what are the long-term social consequences of this? And, and how do we overcome something that we've learned? You know, mm. our brain is amazingly plastic and plastic in a good way. I mean, like in a flexible kind of way. And I want you to think about something that you did constantly before the pandemic. And you probably can't even remember what that is now or how you went about doing it, right? <laughs> I don't remember yesterday. <laughs> it's our brain adapting. It's almost like a protective mechanism to keep <clears throat> us going. So now the question is also going to be, how do we adapt back and how do we continue to adapt? And some of us are more adaptable than others, which goes to your point about resilience. And so for people that are resilient, you know, the support and the treatment clinically that I may need to provide is very different from somebody who is learning resilience. And I, I want to be really clear when I say that um, resilience can be learned. It is not easy to learn and it is not easy to learn in a pandemic. Some of us are naturally, I will say bouncier. And I think for those of you listening, thinking what is resilient resilience, I would say, think of it as just how you bounce back from something. How far down do you bounce? How far back up do you bounce? How quickly do you get to that place? And so the question that we ask clinically and what I really wanna know is how do we support somebody in building resilience with a pandemic brain? Mm. in a pandemic, in something that right now still feels like it's just never going to be over. I'm thinking of teenagers right now mm -hmm. where you know, I'm thinking of like the 14, the 15 year olds where there's Absolutely. that time where you're naturally supposed to go against everything. You're supposed to be, you know, right. opposed to everything and push right. those boundaries. And wow. Yeah. I, and that's harder to do when you're at home all day long. Yeah. And your mom is telling you to do something, you know, right. Hypoth yeah. hypothetically, of course. Yeah, um, no, it's yeah, hypothetically. I mean, it's, it's a, oh. it's a very valid, a very valid question. I think about it, you know, I would say for our teenagers and frankly, for our, our toddlers, you know, those specific subsets of groups, because just their um, brain development, their social development. I mean, I would say even for my youngest, his language development, the impact on his language development, because he hasn't had the same exposure that his older sisters did. And so we have to take all of that into mind and think about, again, how do we give control? How do we build and support resilience, especially when it feels like it's working against our own? Yeah. <laughs> and, and how do we maintain our values and the things that are important to us despite all the stress around us? Do you feel hopeful that we as a society will navigate our ways through this. Do you feel like we will have that bounciness come back? I do feel hopeful. I'm, I'm pausing there because um, I will admit your pot, your pause worried me. I know, I know. And it's, I think it's more of a personal pause than a professional pause. Um, you know, I, I think working in healthcare, I work at Kaiser Permanente and I am um, astounded and just humbled by the incredible resilience of my friends and coworkers who keep getting up and going to work every day and doing incredibly hard work over and over and over again, knowing the cost that it's had on them personally, um, emotionally, and even in their homes. Um, the world is a really tough place right now. I mean, all you have to do is look at the news and it's, it's hard to find good news. And so I think the personal part of it is I was like, oh gosh, it's going to be harder. But the reality is, is that 
you know, I could tell you historically and professionally, we have bounced back from harder things. Um, we are capable of amazing acts of courage and bravery, both big and small. And I do absolutely believe that we are going to bounce back from this. And I think we have the opportunity, like the generations before us, to make a better world. And I think really it comes down to choice. And I think that we are raising people. And I think we all want to be people who make those good choices. I am not a doctor, but I do read a lot of health stories on TV. <laughs> which I know is not the same. Um, I have thought about those previous generations a lot and thought like, why look at what people endured for years during World War II. Absolutely. How how did they bounce back from that? Right. And we're struggling because DoorDash can't find enough drivers. Like, what is our <laughs> problem, people? One, one thing I think is different is that previous generations gave their brains a break. And I think because we are constantly tied into that loop of information on right. those phones, on social media feeds, in 24-7 news coverage, in yeah. dwelling on things all the time, I don't think we ever, ever turn those brains off. Oh, and absolutely. That's, that's my personal, yes, <laughs> my personal no, confusion no, right. on this. We don't turn our, we don't turn our devices off and our brains don't turn off in the same way. And I mean, even if you think about the previous generations, going back to something that kind of ties the two together, there's a science in sacrifice. And there's a science in collective sacrifice. And I think one of the challenges that we have right now with, I would, again, I, I know I'm probably making it sound like social media is the devil. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. I will, no, it I, I'll be honest. I'm with you on that. Right, right. But I think the challenge is we've got this almost dystopian world now where you go online and there is no sacrifice. We've got people partying it up on planes who are now stuck in Mexico uh, because they can't get a ride back, um, you know, juxtaposed against, you know, these skyrocketing numbers of people in the hospital and my, you know, my own hospital looking at what's happening to the people that I know and love. And so I think that there are things that make it harder. And I think um, have shifted our view on what sacrifice is. Um, and I think, again, the best way of addressing that is going back to, again, your own values and who you want to be, not just for yourself, but for the world around you. You know, what is the story you want to be able to say about yourself? When that kid, you know, down the street comes and knocks on the door and says, you know, Mrs. Fitzpatrick, um, you were alive during the pandemic. What was that like, right? You know, what do you want to be able to say? You know, hopefully it's not, I didn't lose my mind because DoorDash was five minutes late. It, you know, right. hopefully what you're saying instead is I did the best I could. It was really hard. And this is who I became because of it. And I hope that for every single one of us, myself included, that it's not just about who I was for myself, but who I was for my family, for my patients, for my community, you know, and, and how I showed up in the world. Yeah. How are you going to show up? Yeah. Let me, I've been taking notes as we go. Um, mm -hmm. Let me just, I'm going to go through the action plan of things we can start trying. Perfect. Tell me what, tell me what I missed and, and okay. that way everybody's got it all in the one mm -hmm. place. Here's what I came up with. Do one thing at a time, give up the multitasking, yep. put the phone down for a while. Define what wellness means to you, getting outside, trying some meditation and start actually doing some of those things. Lose the perfectionism for a while. 
And um, what was the last one? Was there one more? Did I leave one out? I, I mean, I think that the, the last thing I would, I would just add is whatever you did today, try to do it a little bit better tomorrow. So whatever you were able to do today, great. Give yourself credit for it. And then think about tomorrow. I'm going to do this a little bit better. Maybe it's one minute more of meditation. Maybe it's one more breath outside. It doesn't have to be big. You know, it's, this is, again, this is letting the perfectionist go and instead having compassion for what you did today and doing it a little bit better tomorrow for you. Oh, how are you doing these days? <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it, de it depends. Uh, we had no meltdowns today. So I take that. Right. Um, but I would say the holidays were particularly difficult this year. Um, you know, working in healthcare, I really try to think about how to do things as responsibly and safely as possible. Uh, you know, my, um, my youngest is not old enough to be even eligible for a vaccine yet. Um, and he's in preschool. And so we had to make some really hard decisions over the holidays, which meant it was just us at home for two very long weeks. And mm -hmm. I was, I was not at my finest. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and so I think it's, it's finding the ability and the willingness to reset. And again, just trying to do it better. What is the thing that you do that makes you feel better and calms your brain? Oh, exercise without question. I, uh, I took up weightlifting during the pandemic, believe it or not. Really? Yes. And it has been amazing. So, so I would say that the big thing for me is exercise. I know that when I exercise and when I'm outside and, you know, and they've in fact, even found research has found that even just looking at pictures of nature actually calms the brain. That funny yeah and 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 essentially your stress response system is that why and doctor's offices always have them up i yeah well and green Probably. you know green is a soothing color and there's a reason for that and so you know i think for me my magic sauce is is definitely those two things um and and just really again paying attention and being willing to go back and repair like you know if, yeah. if mommy lost her mind mommy goes back and says mommy lost her mind mommy can that better <laughs> My, I, I also like weightlifting and I uh -huh. use, um, I use the Peloton online app, you know, yes. so I'm like following along with them right. and my, my kids make so much fun of me. And it, it suddenly occurred to me the other day that that app is my version of my mom popping in the Kathy Smith VHS tape or uh -huh. Jane That's Fonda. Right. I'm yes. like, That's me. Right. <laughs> Doing oh, it's the so same true. Thing. Yeah. Like, oh well. Whatever. No, it's it takes, absolutely true. Right? I know. And my, uh, I've got my middle child is my, um, my spicy one, we'll say. Um, she is the one that you know continually gives me a run for my money, and so, but she's also the one that likes to work out with me. So we'll do the family yoga series. It's and so it's funny. been, you know, it's been fun, and it's good for her, I think, especially. And so, just really, again, um, you know, I'm definitely not always doing well. I don't think any of us are. And I think that's okay. Totally. Okay. Oh, yeah. you're wonderful. Thank you so much for the time today. Seriously. Absolutely. This, was, this was really great. And I think the information is so fantastic. Um, I know we told people to put their phones down, but are you on social media? Nope. <laughs> Do you have any channels? No, nope. no, nope, not a <laughs> nothing. one, nothing. No so Facebook, in terms of like nothing, this is usually the time where we tell people like how to keep up with you, but the point nope. is no, nope. right, no, <laughs> make an appointment. <laughs> well, I mean, my thing is like, I'm so type A, I, I would lose control of that quickly. I know myself well enough to know. I, I know my limits That's and it's one of those things where like, I'm such a driver that I know that my tendency would be to drive there as well. And 
I got three young kids. I have to make choices. So no Facebook, no Instagram. Not a thing. Nope. You're my hero. I love yeah. you even more now. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, we'll you see. Are- when my kids get older and they get social media, I'm going to have to do something. Oh, you will. Just, You'll need to you have know, an account right, just exactly. to watch them. So like at yeah. that point, but we're not there yet. We're, I mean, my nine-year-old is driving for a phone every five minutes and it's just, you know, it's not going to yeah. happen yet. So I've got some I time. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for the time hey, today. This is really, really great. Isn't Dr. V awesome? Everything she said made a lot of sense. Everything. And um, the fact that she has no social media accounts to me is fascinating. She doesn't have a single one, Edie. No Instagram, no Facebook, no Twitter, none. I feel like you and I might be the same if it weren't required for work. Because Maybe. that's where I tend to use mine is, you know, it, it, it's part of what we do for work. And um, I try to be more disciplined where I'm mm-hmm. on social media during my work hours. Yeah. And try not to but let how, that bleed into. But how often do you meet someone under the age of 80 who doesn't have a single social media account? Just my mother. <laughs> Just my mother. I've met one <laughs> other person. And she was somebody I met like doing a story one day and she was in her thirties. This was years ago. She did not have social media and her mother who I had connected with for a story did. And I was fascinated by this woman in her thirties with kids. And she's like, it just seems like a complete waste of time to me. Isn't it true? And when I, see I was kind of jealous. Totally. And when I see things on social media that I think my mom would be interested in, I just do a screenshot and send it to her. So she really doesn't need it. She's got me filtering all of it. It's true. It's so true. All right. So we've got um, Dr. V's five-step plan. So we also have come up with our own hacks, things we've been doing to try to like focus and remember over the last year. So why don't we just start working through it? The first thing that she advises is to stop multitasking immediately and to do one thing at a time. That goes against every fiber in my body. <laughs> you know me. Yeah. Another thing that that jumped out at me with that <clears throat> that I've really been been trying hard at is to apply that to my interpersonal relationships at home. And when I'm talking to my kids to not be multitasking, I'll tell you where it's the hardest. I sit down with my older daughter. The first thing we do when we get home from school is a spelling test. And I find it so hard to sit still for the 10 seconds it takes her to write down the word. If I say surprise and she's writing SU, you know, I will darn it if I don't pick up my phone and start checking email. I mean, it's crazy. The tiny little nooks of time that we feel like we've got to fill. You know, that's so true, but you know, look at, look anywhere you go, like a doctor's office, somebody goes up, they check in. What's the first thing they do when they go sit down? They don't pick up the reader's digest because those aren't there anymore. They actually, they pick up the phone and you start scrolling. So maybe that's kind of what she was talking about. It's a habit. It's a reflex at this point. So doing one thing at a time, one hack that I have heard, I listen to a lot of these like productivity podcasts, which I guess is probably counterintuitive to slowing down. But one of the things they say is set a timer on things, like give yourself a certain amount of time. So you've got laundry and stuff to do. Give yourself 10 minutes to fold all those clothes. Give yourself five minutes to go do the dishwasher and and get everything out. Maybe doing it that way would get those things done. And it, like she said, it's one thing at a time. You're getting it done for the day and you're just focused. You're focused even on something that simple. 
That's that's a really good uh, tip. I use that for exercise too, because unlike you, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it takes an act of Congress for me to get out the door. Um, I love so I, I love that you myself, just made that political. My political reporter friend. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a Jeffersonian move for me to get out the door and take the dog for a walk. <laughs> um, but I will. I'll tell myself just go for ten minutes. And it, ten and minutes that, is that's, great. That's a little hack. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. And also I think that, you know, I know that that has worked well in our house in terms of um, like doing homework with kids, mm-hmm. like setting the timer. Let's take a break 15 minutes into this and, and focus yeah. actually on the homework, not on, you know, the gamer guy on YouTube who's telling you how to play the game better. That's just like a beef that we have going on these days. Okay, so mm-hmm. the first one, stop multitasking and actually focus on one thing at a time. And I think once you start thinking about how many things you do at once, it will horrify you because I think we are all so guilty of doing that, especially after the last year. Um, the second thing is to put down your phone and give social media a break. Now, everybody talks about doing this, but the reality is that like very few people do it. Is it the first thing you pick up in the morning? No. Um, and this, this is one that I have been working on for a little while. Like I said, I, I try not to have any social media in my personal time, just leave it for work. Wow. So how do you do it? Do you have, do you have like certain times of the day that you do it? Definitely. Um, I I guess I would say during, during any downtime at work, then I'll try to catch up and, and fill that in. Do you think this is because you're not a big person on Instagram? Like you're mainly into Facebook? Yeah, I, I, um, how would I, it, it, it's somewhat overwhelming to me. It, it just, the way my brain works is, is just this, um, tsunami of images and information and it's really kind of too much. I, I, I don't, I'm not someone who enjoys that. So I think that's helped for me for limiting. I think, to be honest, I used to log in in the morning at home just to kind of like guard dog whatever I had posted the day before, because there are so many trolls and haters and just, you know, it doesn't matter what I post. Someone in those days would mention Donald Trump or, you know, and then everybody was up and I'm throwing politics back in, but that's a lot of what I would post. (laughs) And it generated a lot of nastiness. And so I felt some responsibility to, you know, hide the worst of it so that I wasn't putting more bad energy out in the world by leaving that up. Um, So um, I think that's part of it. And then I, and then I guess I got to a certain point where I just thought, I, I don't, I just don't want this energy in my personal life, period. Yeah. How about just the phone in general? Do you always have a cell phone on you? I do, but you know so well. I don't generally answer my phone. I will answer no. a text. No, nope, I'll nope, answer a nope. text within three seconds, but I do not answer <laughs> my phone unless it's you know you or my husband or school calling, and it might be a sick kid. That's kind of it. I I just I don't like to talk on the phone. Yeah, well, there you, you go. Know, the- There's your introvert friend. <laughs> well, and every like. 16 year old out there, they don't do the phone either. So one hack that I have found like with regards to social media, because I take in, um, when I go on, if I'm on vacation for a week, I 
get off of that stuff because like you, I mean, a lot of it is just a work thing, but I also know that like, especially if you're tired, which I am every afternoon, it gets that, that scrolling and that endless scroll, which, you know, is designed to make you continue scrolling, but it also is, um, it's just, it just like the time goes, you lose all track of time. So I take, I'll take a week off and I literally, um, I delete them from the phone. I delete them. And that way, if I pick up the phone, I have to go remember the password to get back in. And who can remember those passwords? Not me, not quickly, <laughs> not easily. And what's really interesting is that I've noticed over the years, the first day you got that kind of itch, you know, it's kind of like you gave up sugar and you're like, I need a cookie. By the second day, it's a little bit better. By the third day, I have felt the change in my brain. And I've felt the ideas kind of coming back in. And a lot of the irritation that you get from maybe reading about certain people or hearing yeah. what different people are doing. You may think you're not comparing your life. You are. And how could you not when it's that thrown in front of you? So if you really need to lessen how much you're on there, like delete it, just, just take it off, like physically take it off. It sounds like a combination of physically take it off and then give yourself a couple of days, just then yeah. adjust let, let sit with the discomfort as my yoga teacher would say. Oh, that, what a lovely transition. This is why it's so good to do one of these with an news anchor. The third tip is to define what wellness is for you and then to actually follow through. So wellness, we're talking about anything you're doing for your physical and your mental health. So for me, that would be exercise. It might be doing a little meditation app. Um, it's making sure you're eating well, that kind of thing for you. What would, what would fall under wellness for you? I love taking a daily walk. Let me show you who's under my desk and has been this whole time. You see that little monster? Um, one of the great things about having a dog is I find that I won't give myself the grace of spending time to get out for a walk in a busy day for myself, but I'll do it for my dog. So that's been, yes. If, if you've heard like jingling of callers and whining that's that's what that sound has been during this podcast um okay so the question was exercise i you know getting out for a walk and um in addition to that i love looking at the changes in the neighborhood i've always um spent a lot of time out in nature having two marine biology parents and my mom also has a strong focus in botany and would always point out like the most subtle of changes from season to season. And that's something that I have um, carried with me. And I just, I mean, I saw a spring flower, you know, it's the beginning of January. I saw a, a beautiful, um, like a paper white kind of flower in a neighbor's yard and stopped and smelled it. Um, but you know, those kinds of things on a walk are, are a little bit meditative, you know, you're yeah. really focusing on what's coming up in people's yards and what the trees look like when they first start this time of year, you know, looking for when they first start sprouting their leaves and flowers. There's a lot of flowering trees in this neighborhood. So, so okay, here, that's, here's that's an idea. Mm-hmm. Here's an idea for a hack. What if you committed to taking the same walk on a regular basis? And it doesn't have to be long because if you do that same, same walk, you can look for those subtle changes. 
and yeah, it's probably kind of what I do. is going to be in the nature part of it. This is what, you know, you know, I'm really into like the whole backyard garden thing um, to the extreme. And I would go out each day when we were all locked down and I literally was like watching tomatoes sprout. Yeah. <laughs> like this, I get is what it. Passes, this is what passes. This is my version of like a Netflix binge right now is like watching to see what happened overnight while I was sleeping, like how much farther did it come up? It was so oddly satisfying to watch it each day. It made me feel so old, so freaking old <laughs> to, to talk like that. You know what it makes you is wise. Um, there's, there's a really, there's a quiet joy in that. You know, um, I used to, as a kid, um, in the morning, we'd go back down to Lab 6 Beach and the tide would have come in and out since we were last there. And it was like a whole new place. You know, the ocean had brought new beach glass and maybe something disgusting had washed up that was, you know, fascinating as a kid, you know, some dead fish or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, getting yourself more in tune with the seasons and with nature is nothing but restorative. Yeah, no, it's slowing down. Um, are there any new wellness things that you're thinking maybe you might want to add in? I know you've been big into yoga in the past. Do you still do that? No. And that's, that's definitely on my list. I, that, that's something I, really enjoy. <clears throat> and I'm kind of mad at myself for letting that go for so long. Here's what I would love to add. This is a lesson learned from my older daughter, who at the height of the pandemic, when everything was shut down and we just stayed home, created something called Funville, where she'd go up in a room and she would turn our entire living room into the city of Funville and every little corner and area had something else fun to do. So like her little beanbag toss game would be in one corner and her doll size Pac-Man machine in another corner. And she set this up for her sister um, and they go through all the different games and all the different fun things to do. And it would take hours and hours and hours. And here's the thing, when you're playing, you can't worry about things. Yeah. You just, it's, it's, if you're playing doll size Pac-Man, that's what you're doing. You're focused on that in that moment and injecting some fun into our household brought the anxiety level down, I think for all of us. Yeah. And, um, watching her do that, it really made me realize, you know, we can all create fun out of nothing. We all have that ability to do that. And, um, making, making time for that and making that more of a priority, I think is helpful. Does Funville have a bar? <laughs> Mommy's version certainly does. <laughs> and here's the thing you can, you can get those drinks to go. So you can, nice. you know, in, in our fun bill, you can take your Sauvignon Blanc from, <laughs> you know, the, the Dolly classroom wine in school. Right. So, yeah. you know, over to light bright. Listen, I can't believe the teachers haven't had to do that. Given what they've done over the last year, I would not, I wouldn't bat an eye. All right. So number four is to lose the perfectionism. Um, mm. This is a hard one, especially if you, um, you know, hypothetically happen to be a type A person, which just about every news anchor is, oh, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, you know, 
just kind of recognizing there is nothing perfect about the way we live. There is nothing perfect about the way kids are going to school. There's nothing perfect about the way you're working. There is nothing perfect. And once you kind of agree that you can just do your best and give it your all, that may be good enough still. I would add on to that, that there's also not a perfect schedule. I think I have spent a lot of time thinking, well, if we just get to here, it'll all go back to normal, back to normal, back to normal. And they're, you know, that's just silly. So um, letting go of that. And maybe that's why I look at the calendar all the time. It's, yeah, you know, for this sense of, of um, what is the schedule? What is the schedule today? Um, but becoming more comfortable with the fact that um, there's really not a routine. No, there's not a routine. And I think that there can be a tendency, especially as like a lot of things have reopened that you want to try to catch up and make up for lost time. Yeah. So I am trying to get better about just like taking stuff off the list as much as I can, not everything, but like just really kind of saying, okay, some stuff's just not going to get done. And I think that that's okay. I'll give you an example. These are our Christmas cards. (laughs) (laughs) I'm holding up. Well, it's in this little bag I'm showing you right now. I've got about a hundred of them sitting here and you know what? They never got out. You know why? Because I ordered them two days before Christmas and then, you know, life happens. So I don't know if they're going to get out. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, And that's okay. Like this year, maybe that's just kind of okay. I have a show and tell for you. Okay. This is our gingerbread house. (laughs) still in the box um because we just haven't had time to put it together I mean that's not really a a worky thing but we made a decision as a family we're going to go to the zoo on Saturday and we got out for a nice long hike by the river on Sunday and combined with how long it takes to put all the Christmas stuff away that was something they didn't get done and um you know can't be perfect yeah so maybe you know you just kind of go it's okay to just do the best that you can. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I find even give you an example, like we've got the Olympics coming up in a month. As challenging as the Tokyo Olympics were, this one, this Beijing Olympics is just like <sighs> insane. Like trying to gather content for, it's just hard. So I've kind of taken the position of I'll do my best. I know I'll come up with something cause I always do, but I'll do my best. And I'm trying to like reframe things instantly from what can I do, which is what I've typically done in reporting anyway, like here's what I know I can do versus what can't I do? Because there's a lot of can't right now and there's going to be a lot of can't and a lot of question marks and everything else. So I'm kind of trying to start from a place of here's the best thing I can do and here's the most positive way I can look at it because it just it's easier to work that way. Yeah, for sure. That can be applied to literally everything. Everything, like laundry. Yeah. <laughs> anything you can apply it to and, and it just I don't know it's like it just seems to make a difference so skip the perfectionism unless you're like an accountant in which case you need to get stuff right you need <laughs> you need to be perfect <laughs> and you have a deadline and you got a deadline there is definitely that okay and then the fifth thing and I thought this one was really good um she said Dr. V said just commit to being a little bit better each day And it doesn't have to be like big monumental things. Like if your commitment was you're going to get out and you're going to walk a little bit more, if you walk two miles in one day, it doesn't have to be that you mark 20 miles the next day, 
maybe you go like an extra block, but just a little bit so that you can give yourself a little pat in the back and you can say, Hey, I did it. I followed through on my wellness. I did. I was on social media a little bit less yesterday. I actually did four things one at a time versus doing four things at once. So like give yourself a break, but also give yourself a pat on the back when you do a good job. Okay. So after I read that in the article, I read the article at work and she said, I think it was something like do a little better each day. And, and her, one of her examples was just a little bit of discipline. I think she, I, I know she used yeah. the word discipline in there somewhere. Okay. I was craving those chocolate covered donut gems that aren't even good. You know where they are. They're in the lower left corner of uh -huh. our, of our vending machine at work. And when I read that, I thought, okay, that's my discipline. That's my little tiny donut gem sized bite-sized bit of discipline for the night. So I didn't go get those. Instead, I did my little up and down the stairs between where we work and our general manager and um, just got myself through that little craving. So I can definitely thank Jenny Singer, the author of this article for <laughs> one less donut jam package in my world. Can we have a little sidebar? This has nothing to do with anything right now. But you yes. have some very, you have eating habits that are like a seven-year-old kid. Like <laughs> the fact, the fact that you like or crave the wax covered donut holes that have been there for like since the before times, <laughs> before the pandemic was a thing, gives me endless joy. And the fact that you love peeps as much as you do is hilarious to me. Yeah, no, I am nobody's role model for, for <laughs> food. <laughs> But then you're a total foodie on the side. You do love really good food too. <laughs> I do, but you know, I, I wash it all down with the Diet Coke. So, <laughs> so it cancels it out. It's all good. Balance in the universe. I know. Okay. So what are, those are the, the tips from Dr. V, which I think are amazing. It's a great, you know, like action plan you can put into place. And she thinks that if you do some of these things, she said, unless you have like true severe depression or anxiety, she said the average person who just is dealing with this pandemic brain can't expect to start feeling some changes within a week. That's pretty good to me. I think that that's pretty amazing and it's doable. What other things are you doing these days that are helping you? The only thing, literally the one thing I would add to this list is sleep. Mm. Um, I think it's really important and I'm researching a little bit uh, more and more the importance uh, you know, it turns out our brains get the cleaning crew in there um, while we're in deep sleep. And um, it's, it's important for memory. It's important for function. It's, it's important for weight <laughs> even. Um, so that, that's the one thing that I would add and that I'm really trying to put a focus on. I think, you know, I had told you, Deirdre, that last year I absolutely made myself have the discipline of turning out the light and going to sleep at 1 a.m. with my schedule. That's my schedule. I'm on air until 1130. So for the average person, that's like coming home from work at six and going to like lights out at 730. I mean, it takes a little while to to wind down, but I, I have gotten really good at that. And I'm actually 
tired at one o'clock in the morning now, but letting myself as much as possible sleep until nine and I get those eight hours. And um, I do think that that is uh, an incredibly important thing to do for your health. And I'm learning more now about the, the re relationship with Alzheimer's. Um, there's gunk that builds up in your brain during the day. And it's only when you're sleeping that your, your body washes that out of your brain. And if you don't get that washed out uh, that can cause problems down the road. So yeah, I would add sleep. I think that's, that's really good. And I'm really proud of you that you've been able to do that. Um, there is a book. Have you read the book, why we sleep by Matthew Walker? No, but I'm writing it down. <clears throat> I will also screenshot it and send it to you. Um, it was recommended to me as a strong suggestion that I read it. <laughs> and so I have been doing it as a, actually as an audiobook when I'm out on a run or a walk and it is really good. And it backs up every single thing you just said. Um, it's a little horrifying for me because like you, I do kind of shift work too. So my sleep is not the best just be, by nature yeah. of the job. Um, but it does show you like, it's really important and it's what hits the reset is giving your body the rest, which gives the, your brain the rest. And if we want to clear up some of this pandemic brain, this fog that we're all feeling, you got to start from a restful place and everything is better with some decent sleep. For sure. I have a book recommendation as well. It's Remember by Lisa Genova. She's the woman who wrote Still Alice. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is a, this is a nonfiction and it's about, um, how your, how your brain works, how your memory works. I think everyone at this point can figure out why I was drawn to this particular book. <laughs> um, it's very reassuring by the way, Deirdre. It, let me give you one super quick example. Yeah. Cause I was starting to really worry about my brain. That's how bad my brain fog has been. This was her example. If you can't remember where you parked your car, that's normal. And that's probably caused by a lack of doing one thing at a time, a lack of paying attention. If you forgot that you owned that car, that's Alzheimer's. Oh. So someone with Alzheimer's might drive to the mall in a Jeep and come out, know where they thought they parked and just not remember that they owned that particular car. So there you oh. go. If you're, if you're worried about your brain fog, that would be one way to sort through what's normal and what's not. That is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, this has been phenomenal really great. And, um, I just would like to say thank you to, for not, well, for ignoring my phone calls, but for answering my texts over the last couple <laughs> of years, especially, <laughs> I am very grateful for your friendship and your support as we have, you know, done our jobs at kind of opposite ends of the day. Um, we are actually really good friends in real life, not just TV life. Um, we've never actually worked together on an anchor set, <laughs> but we're no. very good friends. And, um, I just really appreciate the support that you give me because it has been, this has been hard for a lot of people, but there's exactly one person. Well, not exactly one, but only a couple of people who understand exactly what I'm going through right now. And you are one of them because you're in exactly the same boat. So I just appreciate being able to kind of ask you like, am I crazy? Is this it, are you feeling this too? And you have almost always said yes, which has been really comforting. And because I'm competitive, I say, yeah, and mine is worse. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> no, I seriously, though, I couldn't have gotten through this pandemic without you. So send in the love right back. All right. Well, we're not through it yet. So <laughs> we'll just keep on supporting each other. And I'm yeah. curious to know what other people are doing to kind of free up their brain and, and keep themselves on track as we continue dealing with whatever is coming next. And let's hope that we're 
hopefully starting to get a little bit closer to um, whatever this finish line is going to be. What are, we know Instagram's not your thing, but what are some good ways for people to keep up with you on social media? Um, I think that on KCRA, it's KCRA Edie Lambert, like you have to write the whole thing. And on Twitter, I think it's KCRA Edie. And those are the two main ones that I look at because that's what I do for work. That's so. what you do during work. And hopefully she's yep. not doing it in her free time too. And then if you <laughs> want to keep up with me, my favorite way to communicate is Instagram. It's also apparently my Achilles heel. So you can find me on Instagram at runreadsip if you want to reach out and suggest a guest for the show, or just let us know how you're doing in this, um, this weird time and, and how you're navigating pandemic brain. And if anybody wants to take the challenge and try these five steps, I am really curious to know if it works for people. Um, I've done it, I've done it a little and I have noticed a difference and I'll take a difference over, you know, nothing for sure at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So do people, um, write in the notes for, for the podcast? They'll get back oh, that's to you a that good idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could tell us, you could write something in the rating or review section, wherever you're listening to the podcast, that's a good way. And then you could leave a, well, you could leave a rating and review that would help me with my multitasking of promoting the show for sure. <laughs> But that would be a good way. Or feel free to just reach out on any of our social media platforms and uh, take this pandemic brain challenge. We're going to give it a try and see how things go. But thanks, Edie. Thanks for sitting in today. Thank you, Deirdre. Wishing you a clear, perfect functioning brain in 2022. Wishing you no more multitasking, one thing at a time, a week of wellness, and um, no annoying phone calls for me for at least the next week. Cheers ish. Cheers. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next time.